Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Nashville, it's time for Nashville Business Radio. Now, here's your host. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Nashville Business Radio. I'm John Ray, and uh, folks, we've got a good one today. I've been looking forward to this show with Colton Mulligan. Colton is with Fox Fuel Creative. Colton, welcome. John Ray, thanks for having me. Hey, it's great to have you, and uh, we're going to have a good conversation today. I've been again, I've been looking forward to this. But uh, uh, let's set the table. Uh, let's tell everyone a little bit about you and your firm, Fox Fuel Creative. How are you helping folks out there? Most clients that come to us and start an engagement have some part, some touch point in their brand or marketing that doesn't align with either who they are or it's just doing a real bad job of explaining to it or really just, you know, uh, standing out in the crowd. Most folks come to us and say, dude, it's time to update our website. Uh, Some folks are so bold saying we've been around 60 years. We've never looked at our name, logo, et cetera. So we get engaged a lot of ways and then we help clients top to bottom to start off with that brand strategy. What are you saying? Does your audience even care about it? Are you talking to the right audience? Do you need to go do some interviews, figure that out? And then we come back with all the creative solutions for what you should be saying, what you should look like. um, And then we do all those executions down the line. So work on the brand. Sometimes we'll jump right into the website and then we develop all the videos and commercials and ad campaigns and collateral material, all that stuff. So does that, does that help? Yeah, for sure. Uh, a lot to unpack there, but before we get into some of the details of what you're doing there, uh, Colton, I'd love it if you could share a little bit of your journey, your entrepreneurial arc, if you will. Sounds good, man. Yeah. Um, me, me and my two uh, business partners and damn near best friends, great guys, uh, Michael Hutzel and Joe Betcher, uh, in the summer of 2014, we were working at another agency. And we went to the owners of that agency and said, hey, you guys do not care about running an agency anymore. Uh, you want to do something else. So what if we bought out our non-compete contracts So that way we could go start our own agency, yet have the rights to go ask those other clients if they wanted to come with us. Mm. They said yes, and they threw out a figure that was way more than the three of us had. So uh, we chipped in what money we could. And then, um, uh, you know, some of us had to put loans on our houses and stuff like that, the way we were trying to come up with the money. I I put this house I sit in, I put a second mortgage out on it. Uh, I cleaned out investments. I borrowed money from my dad, grandmother, and doctor friend. Um, and then, yeah, it took us seven years to pay off those notes, but uh, that was 20. So we started January 1st, 2015, and here we are going on seven years later. Wow. Uh, uh, nothing like putting the pressure on from the very beginning there, Colton. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> yeah. There were there were a whole lot of sleepless nights in those uh, those early years, but uh, thankfully it paid off. And yeah, me and my business partners, we we love what we do every day, man. And mm-hmm. I never wanted to be an entrepreneur, and then just fell in love with not having a boss. You set your own rules. You determine. The, the reason we got into it, the, my business partners hate it when I tell people this. Uh, they're like, they're like, oh, cool. Really great to know that the CEO uh, owner did not want to be an entrepreneur, you know, and here <laughs> he is doing all this stuff. But um, yeah, the, uh, the, the real gig, why, at least why I did. And one of my other, one of the other business partners came into it. We realized 
you know, you look around, you sit in an office, you spend 160 hours every month with people. That is more time with your office mate than you will spend with your wife, kids, parents, your dog at your favorite beach house, all that stuff. You got to do that for 40 years. So really being an entrepreneur and owning your own business is the only way you get to control who you get to sit by. Otherwise, there's almost always somebody up above you or a board or somebody that's going to make those calls for you. And so more than not having a boss and setting your own salary and hours, it really was, I want to enjoy my life and I want to enjoy the people I show up to work with and and control that culture and what it feels like. So I'm curious, uh, before we get further down the road with your firm, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs who are about ready to go into business with, as you say, best friends, because sometimes entrepreneurship and friendship can diverge over time to be kind. (laughs) Big time. Yeah. I mean, that one right there, I've got about six hours of lessons I've learned. Not that it's, I'm I don't know if the lessons are applicable, but I can tell you the mistakes that I've made, et cetera. I I will say the one piece that's not very um, relatable to folks I am in business with, with, with these guys that are, you know, best friends, right? Mm -hmm. That being the case, I, it is unbelievably rare, um, a, to find those people that are all equally skilled as well as they are great friends. And then B for you to make it seven years and you all to still care about the same stuff. Nobody wants to sell out, et cetera. So, so I always, I like to preface things with that because we lucked into that. Um, uh, or I did at least in with these two guys, the other things I'd say, most people screw up their, uh, operating agreement and their business partnerships. You're going to have to make tough decisions. Uh, we certainly did. And it was really useful to, uh, sit at the feet of a great lawyer, et cetera, that gave us, I don't know, about 12 grand in, in work to iron out all that stuff, make the hard decision before you are there. How, you know, i.e. anyway, I, I go down that rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then depending on uh, the other thing that I fortunately, uh, I live in Nashville. Nashville is such an accessible town. So the first three years I did what was called breakfast, lunch, or beers every week with a CEO. So I'd sit down with somebody and I just ask them questions. I wasn't trying to land business or anything. I just said, I, this is my first time managing anybody, starting a company, et cetera. I, the same question you asked me is what I asked people. And so I was able to, to save my, save us a lot of headaches by learning from other folks. And then they'd keep flipping me to the biggest CEO they knew, you know, and going around like that. And then that's the second thing. Third thing I'd say is management. Management was hands down, uh, managing people. And suddenly, you know, me and my business partners trying to create a positive culture, how do you work with different people that are incentivized by things, you know, uh, trying to navigate those waters were the things that right there. I sucked as a manager for like five years until my, our longest running employee was like, you know, Hey, I, I need a manager. You, you are a great leader and that's fine, but you are awful at managing. And I spent two years and a whole bunch of money at boot camps and trainings to like try to invest. And I'd say I am, Slightly better than average to mediocre is what I'd say even now. <laughs> what? Well, part of that is knowing what you don't know, right? I mean, you, you, if you're not willing to admit what you don't know, maybe there's is maybe even a better way to put it. Yeah, strengths 
Uh, I don't know if, uh, you know, the Clifton Strengths Finder was phenomenal for me. Uh, I, and I don't care. There's personality tests and Enneagram and DISC and Myers. You can do all that stuff. Something that, for me, heightened my level of self-awareness. And then just let me own what I was bad at. That's what uh, Clifton Strengths Finder does. You know, 20 bucks and 35 uninterrupted minutes. You got 10 seconds to answer every question. And at the end of that, it basically says there's 34 business things you can be good at. You suck at about 31 of them. And so here's four, here's three, four things that you should focus on and forget about the rest. And that between me and my partners and everybody, it let me lean into the fact that, yeah, I'm impatient. And yeah, I sometimes have a real difficult time exercising empathy. And so it, it helped me realize where do, what do I need to bring up to par? So I'm not hurting things actively. Mm-hmm. And then what should you lean into which Clifton Strengths Finder and Gallup has all the research that says you want to be phenomenal and happy in life. Find the two, three things that you're better at than everybody else and just crush it. Lean into that, work on it, et cetera. Folks, we're here chatting with Colton Mulligan. Colton is the CEO of Fox Fuel Creative. So Colton, let's get into uh, the kind of work you do for your clients. Maybe just a broad question about branding. I mean, one of the things that you mentioned uh, as you set up the uh, – you described your work and described what your firm does is how many f- clients you have really don't know how they come across. Or they don't really know how their brand hits the market. Why? Do you, why is that? Uh, a couple things, forests for the trees, right? People mm-hmm. have been inside their own businesses for so long or experts in their field. Um, and so, you know, sometimes it's great. Like we'll catch people using jargon that it's very clear that, hey, you know this because you do this every time. But if you're in a specialized field or something that people engage with once or twice, you know, you know, over the course of their business, et cetera, then y- you pretend like there's a lot of things that are common knowledge, whereas a lot of folks just need to kind of dumb it down or forget that at the end of the day, sometimes your decision makers, you know, your specialty may be in the brass tacks of things, right? Or the the numbers, the data, the finances. But at the end of the day, most people still want to feel something when they make a decision, even on the B2B front. They want to, you know, in the legal space, most people, you know, there were interviews that we did and they talked about, there's a big, massive law firm client that we had. And when I started interviewing the kinds of people that hire them, it was so funny. The number one reason that came up wasn't, well, you know, I want to know that they're the most litigious or they've won the greatest number of law firms. Almost every single person said, dude, when I pick a law firm, it's CYA, let's cover your ass. I don't know if I can cuss on your podcast, but I just- but Bring it on. <laughs> uh, but they just said, when I got to make decisions, I just got to make decisions where if, if something goes down, they know that I hired the best and I'm not going to get fired over the decision. That's an emotional decision about a, about a billion dollar transaction. And some board looks at a guy, they look at a general counsel to make the call on it. And that person said, I frequently make that decision based on emotion. Where Who do I feel safe with? Not necessarily who has the, the biggest number of data, case wins, et cetera. And it was just like, that's all about brand. Who can you look around and feel comfortable with? And a boardroom goes, yeah, I've heard of those guys. Oh yeah, th- those guys, they're, they're a strong group. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's ridiculous. Anyway, does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. And I think uh, for 
uh, I mean, you're a B2B services provider, obviously. There are a lot of B2B services providers out there, though, that think it's all about logic and numbers and pricing and so forth. And you just punched a hole into that belief, right? I mean, that that the decision to buy is based so much on emotions that that you may or may not have a grasp of if you're a B2B services provider. Yeah. Hundred percent. So there's very few folks, and so and then what Foxfield does is we kind of extend that. So sometimes may, people may have a great, they may have a good message, you know, and 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 striking that line between the facts and like how do you appeal to both sides of the brain, especially in messaging, which is what's really difficult for most people. Most people aren't great at that. That's why Foxfield comes along and says, "You got your business model, you got your go-to-market strategy, but you lack the creative skill set to figure out how to translate that in an interesting, standout way to people, right? Your decision makers, mm-hmm. and that's where we come along as the partner to marry the business model with the brand model, the business strategy with the brand strategy. And so, like you know, a good example, I always say is like uh, if people if people were smarter at arguing with me, smarter that makes me sound like I'm on it. I, I also do this every day, but like Berkshire Hathaway. Uh-huh. massive, so much success. Their website is terrible. I'm pretty sure it was designed in 1995 when monitors were like 640 pixels wide and it's awful. They can get away with that. And I haven't checked in a while. They are one of the rarities. Most people fortunately recognize you need to feel more like Apple or the, those are what your brand should aspire to because very few places anymore can get away with like, ah, people don't, our marketing doesn't, you know what I mean? Like our business, our whatever speaks for itself. Worst case scenario, somebody's going to try to do business with you and they're going to hit your website or something to see if you're legit. And a lot of folks just, you know, when they realize that they are falling out of touch with that and they don't stand out from their three or four competitors, if you hit their website or get a proposal or do a presentation, that's when it's time to, you know, uh, invest some dollars and cleaning that up. Yeah, for sure. Now let's talk about storytelling. And I guess maybe the, the, the question there is, is how do you tell an effective story from your perspective? Um, who that's a broad one. Uh, so the, I'd say there's like, there, there's like the brand, story that can be narrow and then there's the overall arc and theme of it right so Mm -hmm. maybe if you look at the narrow space you know if you can get your brand story down to a sentence you know that they say like hey if you can get it down to a sentence three sentences and at best a half page if you can get a couple of variants there um we'd like to talk about you know uh the Unique value proposition, if you want to call it that way, a simple one sentence that says uh, what you do, who you serve, and then the last operative piece, what is the actual value you offer, right? So that's a simple way to tell a a brand uh, business story when you talk in the tactical sense. And so a lot of people conflate one and three. So what you do, that could be, hey, we, uh, you know, we build websites and, and do commercials and we do all that stuff. We serve it on the B2B and B2C front, but most of the time companies at scale that send up, spend 100K on that in a year. But then that third thing is the value, right? Ultimately, what are we solving for? We are offering that value of replacing a CMO or helping you land more clients. There's a whole space in there that really talks about having building a culture that people are proud of, 
uh, that's reflected in the brand. Those are things that you don't Google how to build a brand that my employees want to work for. Like nobody Googles that, but commonly that's the value, especially in a time where things, you know, people complain more about recruiting and hiring talent, attracting talent than they do attracting clients, at least in Nashville right now. And that is far more brand. Someone's going to make an emotional decision based on where they're about to spend that 160 hours a month. Suddenly we got a whole lot more sexy, not because people need more clients, but just because they're having a hard time employing these damn millennials, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, and I, when do, do your clients understand the value generally of employer branding? I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I mean, th- there are some folks that do that really well. And it seems, but it seems like that's not uh, the, the marketplace, maybe generally. And this is a broad, I'm making a broad um, swipe here. So uh, pardon me as I do that. But it seems like folks don't really understand the value of employer branding in a lot of ways. I will recognize right now that I have forest for the trees on it. Okay. Uh, only because if we are working with you, Yes. I don't really have to convince people of that point you just made anymore. If you're working with us with, we only add four to six clients a year. That's, that's all we really need to land uh, that keeps our trajectory and everything based on the average amount of engagement and then length of engagement. Mm -hmm. And so most of those people, when you show up to us, I'm very clear, like, it's not my job to convince you of your needs. You need to know, otherwise you're just going to be frustrated with this process and you're not going to value it enough. Most of these folks, I think a lot of folks talked about it. And then in recent years, it's become a major pain point where I can't tell you the number of clients that say, I'm not going to hit my revenue goals unless I can keep people for longer and I can attract people better. I'm turning down business because I don't have the production pipeline to do X, Y, Z. When it becomes a dollars issue, suddenly you quit rolling your eyes about these damn millennials and the culture and all that stuff. And you start saying, well, it doesn't matter how I feel about it. I have a problem to solve just like I would go attract new business. And if I don't solve it, so, you know, I can't grow. Suddenly I care about it and I'll put dollars to it. Does that help? Yeah, it does. It does. So, uh, so how does it differ? How does it differ in terms of the, the branding and storytelling you do for that's aimed at customers versus employees and potential employees? At the outset, when we do discovery in our like fact finding phase as we're putting things together, now it's just standard to have two significant audiences that you got to think about. So if you're going to tell a story, what does that story look like? What's how's the language different that you would use for the people you're employing versus your customers? And so that third part of the thing, uh, what, what uh, the unique value proposition, or you know, there's a lot of ways to say it, your brand statement, which gets a little more like ethereal. But what is that third point by way of the value to the customer? I mean, sorry, the value to the employee and just thinking through that, finding out what they care about. Because don't get me wrong, you work for engineering firms, they don't care how great the website looks. They want to know that they're going to be solving problems that matter or they care about a paycheck, you know, because they got they're paying off loans or whatever that is. But it, it requires you to get in there and think a little bit harder about You'd be surprised, you know, we look at the web analytics, how much the about us page and culture pages started getting traffic versus case study pages and services pages on websites. Say more on that started getting more traffic when I'd say just over the last couple of years, really? 
but but you can imagine uh yeah, I, I don't know. It'd be difficult to put a date to it, but I can remember, you know, we've been doing this, I don't know, 15 plus years now. And when nobody went to the about us page, why would I care about what the company does? Just tell me what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing about the careers page, the contact page. Those things actually have risen the ranks now as it, it's gotten more competitive, just like any job market like that, where suddenly if the, the most discerning person there is the is the talent pool, they're going to start checking out those pages more because they got more offers sitting at their feet. You know, in a job market where unemployment's at ten percent, people are just happy to get the offer. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't care what your culture's like. I just want a paycheck. Mm-hmm. That starts to flip. You know what I mean? As the economy's doing well, et cetera. For sure, for sure. Uh, so, Colton, let's talk about, I guess, your process and how it works for you. Let's say, you know, I. I I've got a company. I engage you. Talk talk about the process that you take us through. Uh, I sit down with your stakeholders, key decision makers, normally parts of the C-suite for three to four hours with members of my team. Ask uh, a, a lot of the same questions that you do. Uh, not the same questions you do. I'm interviewing them and asking things like, what does your company do? What are you about? I'm asking those core questions. And then from there, we find the things that they don't know, or we find the discrepancies. If your CEO says one thing and your COO says another and your head of marketing says a third, uh, you know, you got some problems that we could solve. And then we normally, depending on the client, go through and that, you know, sometimes some clients, we interview 60 people across the, the, uh, you know, the current clients, past clients, prospective clients that fit their model that they're not working with and their internal folks. And we ask them, what do they actually care about? What's in the buying decision? How long do things take? We ask all that stuff. And then I normally review their business model. Most folks have a three-year, five-year plan. And then, you know, uh, just imagine the process of going through and comparing all these things in a Venn diagram and then come back and show, here's what doesn't match up. You know, we're also reviewing all their sales material, touch points, et cetera. We come back and make a series of recommendations. And then normally there's a creative execution there that says, here's all the problems that we found. And then they're nodding their heads along in the presentation. And then you do the big reveal, you know, halfway through that hour. And you say, Here, here's your new brand. You know, here, here's the language you should be using, the art, words, visuals uh, for, for what it looks like going forward. That must be quite a moment of truth uh, when that happens, when the big reveal comes. It's so much fun being the showman. Yep. John, you, yeah, I mean, you, yeah, I, I love it. Those are my, those are my favorite days, especially because, you know, we got a creative team. I'm over the strategy and account service part, but then my business partner, you know, he's the creative director and has his team, mm-hmm. but I'm the guy that, that talks and I'm good at convincing people of things. So I get credit for all the stuff. I'm the guy, I'm the, you know, I'm the ringleader up front when in reality, yeah, I did the discovery. Somebody else did all the the pushing pixels and the hard work to, you know, do the creative concepting. So it's fun. And then it's fun to just read that room and watch people, you know, how many business presentations do folks sit through? And then they're going to care about this thing. And then the interest, they either care because they see dollar signs tied to what's going on. But most interestingly, People, especially, I love it when it's entrepreneurs and they built this thing and mm. then they have somebody that's, that's giving them an informed input on a very intimate thing, what your company should look and feel like based on interviewing all these folks. And then they they love seeing that come back at them 
as like, you know, they've got a little piece of their identity wrapped up in that. Even if you're not an entrepreneur, but you're the CEO or you're leading teams, you know, it's, those are really fun days. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I am curious about what you see as you look at the marketplace out there. There are lots of firms that, uh, do brand strategy, do some of the work that you do. I mean, what makes Fox Fuel Creative different? Thing one, we tend to charge a lot more uh, these days. Uh, not always, but and it's taken us a long time. You know, since year one, we have quadrupled or quintuple. I don't know whatever our, our prices is. I mean, we also paid a consultant eighteen grand a day to come in and tell us what we needed to do, and he was just like. You're over-serving clients. You're not charging enough. You need to be way more of an ass in the uh, in the buying process. Uh, just because the short story is, at least I, I would argue, our discovery is better. I don't know a lot of brand strategy firms that that do the depth of what we're talking about or lean into the business model that say, "I want to pour over your five-year plan, not just your sales strategy." Where are you trying to go? You trying to build this thing? You trying to make it look like a $20 million company in five years so you can sell it? That that has different implications from somebody that says, man, I, you know, I just want to build a great place to work and do this for the next 20 years. So there's that. I mean, our creative team is kick-ass. Nobody rivals what they do. We used to do three, four campaigns and homepages. Nah, if we've done our strategy right and our team, you get one homepage and you get one, Does you know, there's one direction and it's what we've kind of built toward. Because if you've nodded your head at every step in the process based on the strategy and the questions, where we wound up is a place that'll knock it out of the park for, for what we're trying to establish. So there's things like that, uh, that, that I'm, I'm not trying to say, ah, we're just difficult now, or we're amazing. It's, it's kind of, it's difficult to say that, but I catch a lot of people that enjoy working with us because we are the opposite of those order takers and we will fight you on it, you know? Uh, and, and the, at least our clients respect it when you go toe to toe and say, you know, Hey, you know, don't get me wrong. There's times where we'll course correct, but by and large, we feel very, very confident in what we've delivered for clients and I think people pick up on that in the confidence, that difference between, well, here's two or three, you know, hey, here's two or three visual directions. Which one do you like? What's your favorite color? You like green? Okay, let's put green in the logo. That is not how we operate. Well, and if you, back to your first point there, you talked about pricing, uh, a subject near and dear to my heart. Um, when you lead the conversation by saying, hey, we're expensive, uh, by definition, you're attracting clients that really want change, right? I mean, they really, they're really going to lean into the services that you offer and the expertise that you bring to the table. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, and I, I'm not, it's not just that conversation. Obviously our team has developed, you know, uh, over the, the past seven years, my skill sets developed over the past seven years, but <laughs> in, the, in every process, you know, I, lately, I guess coming out of COVID or whatever, I'm on, I don't know, one new business call a day. And in the first 10 minutes of that conversation, I try to drop our pricing. I used to try to convince people or get their budgets, but I'll tell them, man, a brand engagement's 25, 30K plus. It can be up to 50 based on what I hear in the conversation or, or more. You know, uh, and, and then they're like, oh, okay. And I'm like, hey, man, I can't read between that. If you're ringing, or does that make you nervous? And then if they say, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to see, I'm going to have to go get my board approval. 
and it is not my job to convince them of that. If you don't think your brand is worth that amount, then it's a okay, but we're a great second or third agency for you. We're not a good first agency for you. Uh, cause I, I believe the clients that we work with, our brand is worth at least that much. I think it's a steal at 30 grand for a brand engagement, you know? Um, so I, I, or maybe I'm cocky and arrogant, like my, you know, what my wife and mother say. So, <laughs> well, well, uh, far be it for me to, uh, contradict your wife and your mom. Uh, we're not going to do that right here for sure, but, uh, let's, let's get into, uh, maybe success stories. Um, uh, clients that you have worked with that you feel particularly, uh, proud of the transformation you've brought for them. Yeah. And I should clarify my sweet mother, Debbie Mulligan would never say that. I just, that's a throwaway <laughs> joke. I like doing. I understand. Well, shout out to, shout out to mom. So shout out to Debbie Mulligan. Yep. Uh, and I say that now it sounds like, you know, I'm, I'm crapping all over my wife. My wife wouldn't say it either. She's a sweetheart. Oh, okay. Okay. She's, anyway. All right. All right. Fine. Shout out to your bride. There we go. Um, so the, the question was success stories. You said, yeah, 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 and and you don't have to mention names if it's not appropriate, of course. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, success stories that you're particularly proud of that that are good illustrators of your work. Um, so there's a uh, there is a, a massive. Uh, so we do a lot of work in healthcare on both the B two B and B two C front. There's a client that we've uh, that we've worked with that I am I'm very very proud of of what we've done with them. Um, they, they made a massive transition. I don't know how familiar you are with healthcare, but healthcare has rapidly had to make this pivot from, Hey, come to us. We've got the big hospital and suddenly people have more and more choices. Healthcare has gotten more expensive. You know, the patients feel in the squeeze too, and they don't want to go, they don't want to drive 90 minutes to, you know, or 45 minutes to see a doctor, especially in rural communities. So as healthcare has changed, suddenly the name of the game changed for all these folks that are trying to figure out how do I focus on the patient and the consumer? So they're a great case study in, in what's happened. And so for them, you know, there's a lot of folks that we work with where they, they wanted to talk about their set themselves, right? So, Hey, look, they'll put, they'll put a robot on a billboard and say, look, our robot will help, you know, and they just think because the surgeon loves it and they paid $4 million for something. And it's like, do you know, when you survey, you know, people will pay several hundred thousand dollars to get in front of the patients that, you know, this, this place sees 2 million patient encounters a year. And you got to go tell the surgeons, listen, we just asked people and said, what do you care about? In the top 10 reasons, not one damn person mentioned robots. That's not what they talked about. Right. They want to feel safe. They want to, they want to, they want to know that they will be heard in the process. They don't want to feel scared. They want to know it's clean. Nobody says, well, do you have the 3000, you know, do you have the Surgicon 3000 or the 4000 model? Nobody cares about that. And so that right there is, is probably a good illustration of coming in and helping them talk less about what you are and what you can do in the nitty gritty and, and how do you show things without saying, hey, we're the safest. Hey, we're the cleanest hospital. You still can't do that, right? You got to dig down into how do you stand out against maybe an academic medical center, you know? That they're that that's a you know that's a tough one to go against, especially when they got a football team and this that or the other. Mm -hmm. They got a lot of brand attributes that people want to go. That you know they can put the star quarterback in all their billboards and stuff, right? Sure. So how do you go toe to toe with that? Because it's not robots. 
you got to make somebody feel something in your commercials and all that. And, and they're a really great case study in that. And then uh, at the risk of talking too long, well, you employ 10,000 people across 20 some odd counties. How do you keep 10,000 people feeling connected? And so now you got to tell stories, especially in COVID. It, it matters a lot. So now more and more we're doing, we're moving to video with folks to do kind of what we're doing now, but I got to cut it down to 60 seconds and two minute videos that can be emailed out and, and, and sent out in places that way. An employee who hadn't seen the CEO in 18 months can still feel connected to the mission and purpose and tell great stories about the good work that's going on. Does that make sense? That- yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, great stuff there. And, and certainly, I mean, that kind of what you mentioned there at the end was important pre COVID obviously it's, it's certainly more important now. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. It was people are, especially in the healthcare world, mm-hmm. nurses are tired. They were working long days. They were scared. How do you get people to show up to work where they, you know, nursing's already difficult, mm-hmm. you know, and nursing recruitment, good gravy. It's insane. Mm-hmm. And so how do you tell stories that make people remind themselves when it's 4am, they got to drag themselves out of bed, put on, three times the equipment they used to and go to work scared before everybody knew what was going on. How do you make them feel loved, supported and safe? Right. You know, you can only talk about PPE so much before somebody needs to, you know, you get where I'm going. Oh yeah. Wow. Uh, uh, Colton Mulligan, uh, folks, uh, Fox fuel creative. I got to stop and take a breath. Wow. <laughs> Great stuff, uh, Colton. This, yeah, this has been terrific. Um, and I, I would love to go down a few more bunny trails with you, but we probably will let you get back to doing the good work you do. So let's, uh, give some coordinates. How can folks get in touch with you if they'd like to do that? Man, you can go to the website, boxfuelcreative.com. Um, and if you see what you like on there, there's a little thing that says, Hey, quit snooping around and get coffee or beers with Colton. So there's a thing there. Uh, you can hit me up Colton at foxfuelcreative.com. And I think we cut back all our socials. We're just like on Instagram now, maybe LinkedIn. So yeah, it's yeah. Try to keep it narrow for a brand agency. Yeah. Awesome. Colton Mulligan folks, Fox fuel creative Colton. Thanks so much for coming on. John Ray, hell of an interviewer, my friend. Appreciate you, man. This has been great. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Yeah. Folks, just a uh, quick reminder as we wrap it up here that you can find the show on all the major podcast apps. Nashville Business Radio is the search term. Here's my bold request. Uh, Go on your favorite app, subscribe to the show, and give us a five-star review. It's not about me. It's not about Business Radio X. It's about great business leaders like Colton Mulgan who deserve to be found. And so the extent to which you can help us in that regard, it would uh, we'd appreciate it and appreciate it on their behalf. Uh, folks, Nashville Business Radio is part of the Business Radio X network, businessradiox.com. You can find more about out about our network there, and you can touch base with me directly, jray at businessradiox.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, whatever you got to tell us. So bring it on. We'd, we'd love to hear from you. For my guest, Colton Mulligan, I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on Nashville Business Radio.